starting in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his wisdom through all spirit with the knowledge of his will, excuse me, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. We've been going verse by verse through Colossians, this first phrase, for this reason, since the day we heard about you. Last week we talked about the importance of knowing the gospel message, this message of the kingdom, the word of God, that's what bears fruit. We saw that in verse 6 in our chapter. We saw that in the parable of the sower in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the word. It's the message of the kingdom that bears fruit. So if we want to see life change, either individually or in our loved ones, the seed that we need to be sowing is the gospel. It's God's word, and it's his word that has the full weight of heaven behind it. He says in Isaiah 55, it's his word that will accomplish his purposes. We can't say that about our words. We can promise and we can swear and we can do all those things. But at the end of the day, most of us are powerless to actually accomplish all of the things that we say uh, that we're going to do. Not so with the Lord. If he says it, it's going to happen. There's, you can bank on that. So we said it's important for us to know this gospel message. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's it. That's the gospel. It's universal. It's good news for everyone, everywhere, anytime. What Paul is talking about here, I think, for this reason since the day we heard about you, that's Epaphras, who was one of Paul's lieutenants. Paul's in jail, goes to the city of Colossae, and he plants a church there. Now he's come back to Paul and to give him a report in jail. Paul can't get there. He's in jail. Comes back and says, here's what's happening. We talked about this already. He's telling them this is their faith in Christ Jesus. And here's the love they have in the spirit for all the saints. And here's the hope they have. What he's doing is he's bringing a testimony, a report of the fruit that the gospel is bearing among this Colossian church. That's what a testimony is. It's a report of God's grace active in your life. It's you telling somebody of the fruit of the gospel in your life. That's all a testimony is. If you're a Christian, you have one. You have one for sure because you became a Christian. That's a testimony. That's God's grace at work in your life. We're saved by grace. And your testimony is the story of that grace working in you. Hopefully you have more. Hopefully God's done something in your life since you became a Christian. And so you have multiple testimonies. You can show this is the fruit of the gospel working in my life. I used to be a jerk. I'm not a jerk anymore. I used to be impatient in traffic. I'm not impatient anymore. I used to be grouchy. Now I'm joyful. All of that. That's it. Those are testimonies. That's the fruit of the gospel working in, our, in your life. I, there was a time I lost my job and I didn't know what to do and I prayed and God directed me and he took care of us and we had to eat bologna for a while, but it was okay because we have bologna. And now we're eating. You, you get it. You've got that. But for many of us, we're not comfortable talking like that. We're not comfortable telling the story of what God has done in our life. We kind of hide that. We're, we don't really give God credit. And I think we miss things there. And when I'm saying it's important for us to be a messenger of the gospel, some of you are thinking, well, I've got to go memorize some Bible verses, and then I, gotta, I need to be able to communicate the gospel. It's what I did when I went to the mall, when I told you all about in seminary. It was, let me get these four points that I just got to communicate. I don't care if you hear them or not. I just got to get them out for the sake of this class. And that's how, for some of you, when you hear be a messenger of the gospel, that's what's going through your mind. I don't know the Bible well enough, or I don't know theology well enough. And what I want to say is, you know your story well enough. You can be a messenger of that. You can deliver your testimony. And actually, I think it works better most of the time. 
It's not hiding the gospel, but it takes this big, massive, universal truth and it personalizes it. It contextualizes it for people. When I was in um, Athens, there was a, we had a, a student center. It's called the Tate Student Center. And on the stu- in the student center, there was this place called the Free Speech Platform. And you could reserve that and you could stand on that platform and you could say just about anything that you wanted to say because it was a free speech platform. And there was a guy, his name was Brother Jed, and he would show up. It had to be, I don't know, maybe monthly. He would show up, and he had this group of, I guess, wives, daughters. They all look like they came from Little House on the Prairie, and they all that's how they dressed. No judgment, that just description. So they all stood. They kind of walked around with signs, and Jed stood up with a megaphone on this free speech platform, and he would just lay into everybody walking by for however long he reserved it. He tore up everybody, but particularly if you had Greek letters on your shirt, he went after those guys harsh. And listening to him over the course of the years that I was there, most of what he said was dead on right. It was biblically true. It was theologically accurate. The stuff that he was saying, I I think he might have come from a Bible college in Tekoa, I'm not sure, but I think that was the case. If he went back to his class, that you couldn't refute anything that he was saying. But he wasn't helping anybody at all. The seed, the gospel, needs to fall on good ground. If the ground is hard, the Bible says the enemy snatches it away. If it's rocky, it's shallow, then the seed, when it sprouts, when persecution comes, the, the plant dies. If it's crowded with weeds... The, the seed sprouts and the plant grows, it gets choked out. It's only in good soil that the gospel produces fruit, 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. And Brother Jed, even though he was spreading the gospel, it was good seed, the way he was doing it was hardening people's hearts. It was counterproductive. Yes, that's good seed, but you're making it unnecessarily difficult for people to receive it. If you just dial it down a little bit, then maybe folks could actually grab on to what you're saying. But the way you're saying it is causing people to be defensive and it's putting a wall up. So it's it's not doing anybody any good. Maybe you can feel better about yourself because you went and preached to the heathens in Athens, but that's it. There's There's no fruit there because everyone's heart is becoming hardened because of the way you're communicating. A testimony is a way around all of that. Rather than taking, you have a friend and their life is falling apart. You could go to this person, you could say, well, you know what? You're living in rebellion to God, and he's judging you for that. And the reason he's judging you is because he wants to get your attention because right now you're on the road to hell. And if you think today is bad, you should see what forever weeping and gnashing your teeth is going to feel like. You can say that to them, and you're, you're right, that's true. Or, if you want to, you could say, you know what? There was a stretch where my life was falling apart. And this might sound nuts, but what I did is I asked God to help me. I didn't know what else to do. I tried everything else. Nothing worked. I asked God to help me, and he did. It wasn't always easy, but as I I started reading the Bible and I was trying to do some of the things that it said, I had some friends who knew God, and they helped direct me. And as I started to do that stuff, it wasn't always easy, but slowly God began to put my life back together. Two different approaches. I think two different results. It's not that we're trying to hide the gospel. It's that we're trying to make it accessible for people. And that's what your testimony, and we do that all the time. You tell me you're going to Seaside, and 10 people who've been to Seaside are going to tell you where to eat and where to stay. And It's testimonies. 
Where should we go for our anniversary? Suggestions, testimonies. Thinking about going to a movie. All of, all of that stuff. That's the language that we use. This is my experience. Let me share that with you because as you go through a similar experience or as you try to make a similar decision, that's life. And if we would get comfortable sharing our testimonies, sharing this is what God has done. We said you don't have to talk in King James English. We don't care about that. You don't have to be preachy at all. You're just saying this is how God has worked in my life. This is the fruit that I've seen from obeying him. You begin to share that. It can kind of do an end run or circumvent all of these objections that people have to the objective gospel. You start talking about the objective gospel and people say, well, what about the guy in Africa who never hears about Jesus? And you know, what about, and you get all these questions, there's smoke screens, many of them are. Your testimony gets around all of that and just says, this is what God has done in my life. Would you give it a shot? Would you consider, give, just like you do if I'm going to Seaside, you say, you might want to consider eating at this restaurant because it's pretty good. My choice, you're just telling me your perspective. We need to get comfortable sharing our testimonies. And I would say you can start by sharing it with us. Get comfortable in a safe place. We all speak the same language. Begin to share what God is doing in your life with other Christians. And as, as that language becomes more natural and more part of your vocabulary, it'll be easier for you to share it with people who aren't Christians. For this reason, since today we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We've not stopped praying for you. Prayer is an invitation for God to act, plain and simple. God created all of us with free will. He's given all of us the ability to make choices, and I believe he honors that free will absolutely. I don't believe there are um, any occasions where he violates our will, does something against our will. And so, well, God knows everything. Yes, he knows everything, but he's waiting for you to ask him. He knows you're dying. Ask him for help. He knows you're sinking. He knows you're confused. All, yes, he knows all of that. Well, why won't he do anything? Because you haven't asked him to get involved. He's not going to get involved until you ask him to get involved. He respects the freedom that he's given you to make choices. Prayer is asking him to get involved. You know that the, the point I want to make from this, it seems like Paul's prayers are informed or directed by the report he gets from Epaphras. It says, for this reason, since we've heard of you, we have not stopped praying. So to me, there's this picture. Um, maybe Paul prayed for them beforehand. I'm sure he did. But once he gets this report, once he gets this information, this testimony, it directs his prayers in a certain way. Maybe they're more strategic. Maybe now that he knows the situation, he's better able to pray for these Christians that he's never met. And for us, I think the application is you need to be willing, I need to be willing to, to ask for help, to get people involved. Ask for prayer. There's an information exchange that has to take place for us to be able to pray for you. I pray, you know, I can pray generally for the church all the time. But if I don't know what's happening with you specifically, then I can't pray for you specifically. I can give you a blessed Mitch, but I don't know what's happening in your life. Tell me. And then I can pray specifically for that. Tom Tanner, many of you know, is a pastor at Riverstone. General prayers get general answers. Specific prayers get specific answers. If there's specific things that, that you're struggling with or going through or that you want to see, ask. Well, then somebody might know that there's something wrong with me. We all know there's something wrong with you. That's not, not news for any of us. None of us are under the illusion that anybody in this room is perfect. We all have weaknesses. We all have struggles. So push past 
ask for help. Be willing to engage. I don't, I don't think you've got to send out an email chain that says pray for me about this and forward it to ten people and if you don't, God doesn't like you very much. You don't have to do that. I don't, when I read the Bible, I don't see any indication that God answers prayers based on the number of people asking. I don't think God says, you know what, I wasn't going to heal this person but because so many people have asked, I guess I will. I don't think it works that way. I think there's a huge difference between one and two. I don't know that there's too much difference between two and two million, biblically. Going from one to two, going from I'll pray for it myself, I'll take care of it myself, a lot of times that's a mask for pride. I don't want anybody to know that I have a weakness. I don't want anybody to know that I have an area of need in my life. There's a, usually some type of fear factor there or pride factor that keeps us from crossing the line and sharing with somebody else. But once you've done that and you've gone from one person to two person to two people, you've brought somebody else in, I don't know that it matters that you have 20 people or two people praying about a situation. In James 5:14, it says, uh, James says, is anyone sick? He should call the elders. And that word call means call to call alongside, to summon, to summon someone to your side. There's a personal dynamic there. It's not necessarily posting something on Facebook and hoping people will pray for you. It has a much more personal connection. Hopefully in your small group, if you've been in a small group, that prayer is happening there. People are sharing requests and not just writing them down, but actually praying for them. We have prayer pe- folks up here every week, prayer ministers, who would love to pray for you about anything. Well, if I go forward, people might think something. If I go up with my wife, they're going to think our marriage is struck. Who cares what they think? At some point, we all need God. We need to desire God to get involved in our life more than we care what folks think. And once you get to that place of desperation, a lot of times the Lord will work in your life. If you're willing to say, I need help, that's what he's looking for. That's a posture of humility, and God gives grace to the humble. And as long as you stay back, I can handle it myself. I'll take care of it on my own. That's a posture of pride, and God opposes that. You don't want to be in that position. So look for folks to share. I don't want to be a burden. Galatians 6, you're supposed to be. We share one another's burdens. So right now, you're a burden to me. Let's just be honest. I'm going to be a burden to you tomorrow. That's good. At work, that's the way it works. We're brothers and sisters here. The point of being the body is when I'm down, you can pick me up. And when you're down, I can pick you up. So let me be your brother. Let me carry you during this stretch because you're going to have to carry me through a stretch. That's how it works. It's part of none of us. are. There are no heroes in the body of Christ. They're brothers and sisters who share their burdens with one another for the sake of moving forward together. Sometimes you're going to be on the giving end and sometimes you're going to be on the receiving end. It doesn't matter. We're all going to be in both positions multiple times through our life together. We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We talk about this all the time. God's will for you, your deal, this thing that God has put you here to accomplish. For some of you, every time we talk about it, it's like you're getting slapped in the face because you want to know and you don't know. But I want you to see here, they didn't know either. And what Paul is saying is, I'm praying for you. Every time I pray for you, I'm praying for God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. It's knowable. God's will for you is knowable. I don't know why you have not received that revelation yet, why you haven't discovered I don't know, but I know it's knowable for you, and it's a fine thing for us to pray for. 
So don't give up. Continue to ask God to show you what your deal is. And look in three areas. Where is there passion in your life? Where is there passion? People sometimes say, you know, if you could do any job, what would you do? And what I want to know is, what are you doing for free? What are you doing in your spare time? What are you doing without reward or pay? That's an area of passion. That's a good indication that that might be in the direction of your deal. The same God that wrote Psalm 139, I knit you together in your mother's womb, wrote Ephesians 2.10, I've created good works in advance for you to do. So it's going to fit. You're not going to dread doing your deal. It might make you uncomfortable at some point along the way, but you're not going to dread it. It's not, oh, it's Monday. That's not, if that's how you feel, that's most likely not the thing God has created for you. It doesn't fit. Where's their aptitude or skill? What are you good at? And this is hard because, again, God's made you this way. You most likely have been good at this for a long time, and it's never been a struggle for you. You just just write. It just comes. Or you connect with people. Whatever it is, you can do those things. And you don't recognize it's a gift. Not everybody can do those things. What are you good at? That's a good indication of where the direction of your deal. And where's their fruit? I talk to people all the time who feel called into some type of public speaking or teaching or preaching ministry. And the first question I say is, what type of feedback do you get? And if somebody says, well, you know, every time I talk, nobody ever asks me to come back. I think, let's make note of that. That's not the kind of feedback that you want. That's not the fruit that you're looking for. If every time you talk, they never ask you back, I don't know. And so I would say for you, where do you see fruit in your life? And again, it's not hard for an apple tree to produce apples. It's natural. And these, because God's made you this way, this area when you're doing your deal, the fruit, it shouldn't require a whole lot of blood and sweat and tears. It's not, there's not work involved, but there should be fruit there. You should be getting positive feedback as you're doing your deal. And so I would say look in those three areas. Where, where's their passion for you? What do you want to do in your free time? What is something that you, that you do without somebody asking you to do it or paying you to do it? What are you good at? Where's their aptitude, skill, talent, whatever you want to call it? And then where's their fruit? Where are you seeing positive results? Where are people, what are people asking you to be a part of and asking you to do? Good indication that that is at least the broad direction of your deal. And this says, praying uh, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word spiritual in the Bible usually means in, by, through the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, that the the wisdom of God is foolishness to men and women. And as the Holy Spirit leads you into your deal, and we talked about that last week, he's the one that guides us into the truth. As he leads you into your deal, at some point I can just about guarantee you, you're going to have to make a decision that looks foolish in the world's eyes. And many of you have people in your life who will call you on. They're going to say, you're making a silly decision. You're making a foolish decision. You're going to move to Costa Rica. You're going to have a baby in Costa Rica and not come back. You're going to sell what? You're going to quit what? It doesn't make sense from the outside. And well-meaning people who love you are going to say, you're being a fool. And in that moment, you've got to decide, is this the wisdom of God or is this the wisdom of men and women? And you have to make a decision. The wisest thing any of us can ever do is follow Jesus, period, wherever he goes. The wisest decision you can make is to stay close to him. 
And the most foolish decision any of us can make is deviating from the path that he's laid for us. Some point down the road that hasn't already happened, there's going to be that rub for you. Wisdom of God, wisdom of the world. They're going to do this. And if you follow Jesus, you're going to look like a fool. And you just have to know in your heart, I'm following him. That means it's going to work out. It just means I'm following him. And that's the wisest decision I can make. And we pray all of this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, may please him in every way. I was thinking about that. When I go to bed at night, I never review my day in terms of have I lived a life worthy of Jesus? Have I pleased him in every way? That never even crosses my mind. I don't know if that's how you review your day or your week or not. I think it's something for us to move towards, to begin to evaluate what we do and don't do and say and don't say and how we spend our time based on did I live a life that was worthy of Jesus today? Did I please him in every way today? And for most of us, we please him in some way. It's just not in every way. And there's some competition with him in our hearts. We have some competition in our lives, some, some other factors that are fighting and saying, please me instead of pleasing him. One of them is it's ourself. Philippians 2.3, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And for most of us, it's I don't do very much out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. But there are a few things where those, those agendas push. And when my agenda and Jesus' agenda coincide, it's, it's wonderful. It's when they diverge that there's an issue. And if I'm living for myself, if I'm trying to please myself, at some point, I'm going to find myself drifting from Jesus. Because at some point, his agenda for me and my agenda for me, they're probably not going to line up. We have two different value systems. So it could be for you. There's that selfish ambition in your heart, that vain conceit. I'm going to say two sexist things this morning, and this is the first one. I think that, for guys, I think that's a bigger issue than it is for girls. That's a sexist statement, but I'll own it. Um, I think it's a bigger issue for guys to do things out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. I think it's something that men struggle with more than women. And so I'm going to say, guys, if that's you, particularly when it comes to your career, if there's something in you that's pushing forward, make a name for yourself. Climb the next step. Create your own kingdom, whatever that looks like. You need to repent. You need to recognize you're living to please yourself and not please the Lord. Second thing, other folks, this is easy. Sometimes it's other people. We live to please our mom or our dad or our spouse or our first grade teacher or our principal, whoever we've kind of looked up to. Maybe at some pivotal point in our life, we find ourselves living to please them, even if they were godly people. 2 Peter 2.19 says that we're a slave to whatever has mastered us. And sometimes what's mastered us is the expectations of others. Even if they're godly, that can be dangerous because, again, as long as what they're expecting of you coincides with Jesus, you're okay. But when they begin to diverge, that's when the issue comes. So I would ask you, do you struggle with that? Is there somebody, their voice is in your head? Jump a little higher, run a little fat, whatever that is, that voice of a particular person who may love you in your head. You may be living to please them and not Jesus. And the last one, it's an image. It's a set of expectations and obligations. It's this tape that runs in the back of your head. And here's my, sexist, my second sexist statement. I think women struggle with this more than men. I think for women, particularly where we live, there's, a, there's an image of what it means to be a woman here in Marietta. And it's this tape that runs. It's not in the front of your mind. It's in the back of your mind. It's in your subconscious. Because if you ever could 
grab it, you could realize how ridiculous it is. But it's always playing in the back. You've got to look like you could be on the cover of a swimsuit issue. And you've got to cook like Ina Garden. And you've got to run a house like June Cleaver. And you've got to know the Bible like Beth Moore. And you need to be married by 22. And you need to have children by 25. But you can't look like you've had any children at all. And you've got to run your own business. And you've got to be a room mom. And you've got to make homemade party favors for every birthday party. And your kids better never mess up and always look cute and well-coordinated with their outfits. And you can never leave the house without looking put together. That's, it's running back there. Nobody can live up to that. Most of the images are contradictory to one another anyway. Ina Garden's not on the cover of any swimsuit issue. Love her. You can't eat like her. You can't do both. You can't eat and cook like her, and it doesn't work that way. But that's what's in your head. It's impossible for anyone to live up to that. And it's echoing back there. Jump a little higher, run a little faster, do a little more. And when you don't, the guilt crushes you. And you lay in the bed. And you want, what did I do today? And what goes through your mind are all the things you didn't do. It doesn't matter what you accomplished, the first thing you think of, all the things that you didn't get done, all the people you disappointed. You didn't really disappoint them, you just think you did. All the ways you let other folks down. And God forbid you actually tell somebody how you feel. Because you've got to be strong and independent and submissive somehow. You've got to combine all of those things. You've got to take care of everybody else, but you can't let anybody take care of you. It's a death trap. Enemy can't get you because you're a child of God. So he set out to steal and kill and destroy every ounce of joy he can from your life. And so you, every morning, you suit up and you get ready to run the gauntlet of your day, hoping to make it through without screwing up too much. That's the goal. Not joy, not life abundantly, just not screwing up too much letting down the fewest number of people possible. It's no way to live. And for some of you, that's every day. And you need to know that you're not living to please Jesus. You're living to please this image, this set of expectations that's not even real. It's an idol. It doesn't even exist. Jesus doesn't care if you gain 10 pounds. He doesn't care if you burn the meatloaf. He doesn't care if you have to actually buy party favors because you couldn't make them on time. He doesn't care if you're the room mom. He doesn't. He doesn't care if you're wearing your workout clothes out in public. He doesn't care if you have on makeup. He doesn't care if your hair's not all in place. doesn't matter. He cares about you. And what he's saying is, will you live to please me and not this taskmaster of expectations that has somehow infiltrated our culture? There's a freedom in life that you've got to be willing to walk away from all of these expectations. Let's pray.